Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing As you're turning there, I want to um, kind of encourage you this uh, this trip. Uh, as I've been traveling, I've had um, two different assignments from the Lord. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Wisconsin, and as I was there, um, I was teaching on um, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And I'm leaving the stage from this conference, and I'm heading back to my table, and this lady that's running the conference comes up to me and says, hey, we have a lady over here, and she's manifesting demons. Can you come and deal with it? And I thought, well, that's that's different. So I went over there, got to spend some time with the lady, and as always, the Lord drove out the demons. And then I'm making my way over to the table where this guy I traveled with up in Minnesota was at, and I'm asking the Lord, Hey, like, so in the next couple of weeks, I have to kind of get ready. What do you want me to cover? And the Lord started having a conversation with me about you're, you're tasked by me to teach on persecution for the next season. I thought, I know what that means. And so that's not what I'm covering today. I'm just giving you an idea. Uh, and I've been going through, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I review in certain seasons my understanding of the power of prayer. How powerful is prayer? And I was talking with someone about, uh, can you imagine, I'm having a conversation with a person in Kansas City. Uh, In the last several months, I've been involved in uh, politics, actually, in the Kansas and the Missouri side. It's kind of a weird story. but And we're having conversations, can prayer change government? What's God's desire with this stuff? I mean, when we pray for nations, does God hear us? And I've been going through um, my own history with God because anytime God asks you to pray for something, he's been doing just like with David. David didn't just attack Goliath because he had never had a challenge. He killed his lions and his bears first. So in your life with God, God always gives you small challenges and then you build in the kingdom. And so I'm in a different season with it right now. And you guys ever have conversations with people and you're talking and... All of a sudden, a word of wisdom comes out of you, and you think, where did that come from? We were talking about people that changed history through prayer, and I said, isn't it interesting that only in the New Testament, the only prayer life that's referred to as an example for the New Testament believers is Elijah's. You guys, I had never thought about that before in my life. That that just came out of me, and I thought, wow, that was a really good thought. I, I need to grab onto that thing. And what it's made me do is not only look at the life of Elijah, but specifically how the New Testament talks about it. And hopefully I can be clear about that this morning. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, is where we're going to start. That's not where we're going to end up. It's where we're going to start. When the Bible uses, especially in the New Testament, when the Bible comes to you and it refers to individuals, like we have Abraham that's referred to us. 
Uh, we have Elijah that's referred to us. We have different people pulled out of the New Old Testament and brought into the New Testament. We have to understand why God is doing this. God is saying this is not only an example, but I'm using them as a prototype or what we call a foundation of what I want to be normal in the New Covenant. So we find that Abraham is the father of our faith, and we find out that Abraham uh, shows us how God brought us to salvation. He believed God, and God considered him righteous, declared him righteous. Well, we have those references given to us from Old Testament people. We have the life of David being given to us. So this is how we are to actually function in a kingly anointing by looking at David's life. Well, when it comes to prayer, Elijah's life is actually the example which is fascinating if you think about it. And it's, uh, as I said, it's the only one that's referred to. Now, why I'm telling you this is because most people look at these dynamic lives of these people in the Old Testament, and then they look at themselves and they think, I, I could never even come close to what these people did. Uh, some of you would say, I don't even want to get close because some of them were sawn in half. And so... But what does God tell us in the New Testament? Well, here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, it states this. It says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not, been, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So now we're being told that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And it says, Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So we're, we're actually having a transition from one covenant into a new covenant. And the reality of what we see in the old covenant is just really what we would call kindergarten because now we're moving into grade school and high school. And the, the things that they did, the power that they moved in, the things that they did, they were giving us a taste of what was possible, but the fullness came in Jesus. And so what those people were able to do that were uh, literally changed nations and brought people to God and all the things that they accomplished, what they were doing is they were saying, this is the ground level, people. You're what God was intending for human history. So what these guys did, and you see as an example, they're just telling you, that's normal. You need to go beyond that. You're, the New Testament believer, whether they've known the Lord for two minutes or they've walked with the Lord for 40 years, they have more, how do you say this correctly, more authority, more privilege, and more access because of the presence of God living in them than anyone experienced in the Old Testament. And so we have been called to an incredibly beautiful and high calling in Christ that our uh, ancestors in the faith didn't get to experience. We're what God was looking for. And so when he says, the least in the kingdom is greater than them, he's trying to give us an understanding. Here's how God actually perceives you in his sight. Now, have you guys ever imagined that no matter how you view yourself, God perceives you as having more authority, more impact than Moses or Elijah or any of those people? It just it stuns me that God has that kind of view of you and I today. And I would say in my own life, because I don't grasp my identity sometimes, I believe that I've lost certain um, treasures that God wanted me to experience. And so one of the treasures that God has called us to, and it's probably the most understood um, treasure that God has invited us into, 
is the life of prayer. Now, everyone has a view of prayer. I'm amazed. Um, there are different ways of praying. There's different effects to prayer. There's an authority in prayer. There, there are discovering things about God that you never understand with prayer. But I actually believe that the foundation and the lifeblood of believers is prayer. And so because of that, I'm on my own journey of visiting this because of the things that God is intentionally drawing me into. So what I want to do is have you go with me now to James chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, and we're going to look at the life of Elijah, or at least how James refers to him. Now, in a very, and just really, two short verses, we're going to have the dynamic of Elijah's prayer life described to us as this is what every believer can do. We're going to have the frailty and the brokenness that enters into prayer being given to us through Elijah's prayer life. And then the goal of why God actually says you need to pray in just two short verses. Let's see if we can discover what God's telling us here. Now, if you look at uh, James chapter 5, James is um, pastorally talking to the people that he's writing to here, and he's talking about how to have healthy relationships in the body of Christ. That's what's so amazing about them. We're going to be looking at verse 16 and 17. Before verse 16 and 17, he's telling everybody, hey, why don't you actually be nice to each other and stop sinning and stop doing this stuff to each other, and you need to forgive each other. He's just going over how do you have relationship with each other. And then he says, now, um, and I'll read it here, but he's, then he begins to say, well, you know, and then when people are hurting among you, what should you do with them? So, you know, you should be bearing one another's burdens, and if someone's sin, you need to forgive them, and if they're sick, you need to call the elders, and they need to go pray for them because the prayers of the elders will heal them. And then he stops right there, and he wants them to understand how powerful their prayer is, and then he goes into this talk about Elijah's prayer life. So let's look at the passage. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. All right. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Now, he has just got done saying, you pray for the sick, they're supposed to get healed. That's really the indication here. You pray for the sick, they get healed. And then he, what he wants to do is he actually wants to take a chapter out of Israel's history. And if you look at the life of Elijah and his prayer life, what's fascinating about it is how powerful it is. Have you guys visited Kings lately and just looked at the things he did in prayer? I mean, we all remember, or this one's talking about, hey, you know, he actually prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And that was in regard to what Ahab was doing with Jezebel, going around killing the prophets of God. And God had determined, okay, for some odd reason, Ahab doesn't remember the history of my people, what kind of God he's dealing with. And so I'm going to now reveal myself to this man. By the way, every generation, if you guys recognize this, Every generation goes through discovering who the Lord is and forgetting who the Lord is. And they have to go through this process where God has to make himself known to every generation. So we have now Elijah. Not only did he pray for the rain, do you guys remember he raised a kid from the dead? He actually uh, uh, gave a word to a woman, and through prayer, she actually had oil that actually took care of her during a famine or what we would call an economic downturn. I mean, and, it, and, it just, and then 
It, I asked uh, the other day this question, and I'll just present it to you guys. Does your prayer life scare people? Because people are afraid of Elijah praying for him. You know, Ahab said, I want an audience with Elijah. Go get him. And he sends this army of 50 men, and they're like, you need to come with us. And he goes, no. And this lightning bolt comes out of heaven and destroys all of them. And so Ahab's like, how dare him? So he sends another 50 guys to go confront him. And he, and he goes, well, the king wants to talk to you. And he goes, no. And another one comes down and strikes down another 50 of them and kills them. The third time another guy goes, they're, they're starting to catch on. Maybe we shouldn't do that. So he's, please spare my life. The king is asking you to come, but please, please consider sparing my life. Don't destroy me because of him. That's it. That's it. I mean, could you imagine people knowing that group over there prays? You better watch out. <laughs> now, I do need. I do need to say. I've been fortunate. I don't know. I don't understand this with God, but God's wisdom is beyond me sometimes. I've been fortunate to be around certain people that have these incredible prayer lives. And I know that when I talk to them and they say, what do you need prayer for? I know something's going to change after I get done talking to them. I, I, early on, my early days, I had a Sunday school teacher that would say, so now what do you need prayer for? And I'd tell her, and a week later, it'd get answered. And I'm like, how does that work? And then I'd, I'd say, I can't get a breakthrough. And she'd pray for me, and, and it's like, how does that work? And then she would come and tell me my future, and I, I'm just looking at her, I'm like, who are, what is this? Who are you? All right, let's work through this. Verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Let's work through the word effective. Kind of interesting here. This word effective actually could actually be translated prevail. So I want you to think about the word prevail with me just for a moment. This is now talking about a prayer that is not given up on. So there are two ways that we look at the word prevail. One means a strengthening to prevail. Another one means a time element to prevail. Now, this, this term, that they, at least in my translation, has effective or prevail, it actually means this, to be embodied with strength to go into the fray. Okay, now let's develop that. That actually means that when you and I enter into prayer, it's like stepping into a hurricane. Now, that's fascinating. Do you see what the Scripture is saying here? God actually emboldens you to step into a place that no one else can step into. It's a hurricane of resisting the will of God. And he gives you actually the grace and the power to do that. And so that actually means everything that is resisting what God wants to do in that situation hits you when you enter into prayer for it. Now, how many of you pray and you think, if it's really the will of God, this should be easy. I should just say a prayer, and it should happen. How many of you guys think like that? I, I thought that way for years. If I'm really hearing God, I shouldn't have spiritual warfare. I shouldn't be depressed. I shouldn't sit around going, I wonder if God's hearing me. I, it should just be me walking in, and all the demons go, ah, there's Brian and Ron, and I say, Jesus' name, and it comes. But he's now taking the prayer life of Elijah, and he's saying, hey, let's get in the dirt here and look how it really happened. God told Elijah something, and he went into a hurricane of resistance. 
And God empowered him in that place. God put his hand on him and said, you're going to be able to accomplish this, which is actually incredible. Now, it even goes on. It actually means to be strengthened by the Lord internally, ready, for combat. Now, there's this part about walking with God in prayer. Think about this with me. I know you guys have explored this. A lot of times we talk about the romance of prayer. I'm being shepherded by the Lord. He's loving me. God is with me. That is one type of prayer. But it's not the only type of prayer. There are some prayers that God calls you and I to that are not just a romance. They're a battle. And this, this type of prayer where God is wanting to change people's lives, he's saying, hey, guess what? I am the Lord. I'm, I'm, the Lord. I'm a man of war. I'm a warrior. I want you to discover that part of me in prayer also. So prevailing prayer, if you guys have ever heard that t uh, prayer or that idea that sometimes I enter into prayer and I can sense I've been brought into a place to actually see God get a breakthrough. God saying, that's prevailing prayer. And through all my years of study of prayer, I, I've heard you know people that spend a lot of time doing this begin to describe the the different levels of prayer that they enter into. It seems like some prayers you just ask and God does it. Some prayers you uh, seek. There's a season of seeking, and then you find some are knocking. And that's what this type of prayer is. This is the one that says, God has empowered me. I don't care how much resistance is going to come to this. I'm going to knock on this thing until that door opens. And this is the, the, the word that's being used here in the original language is actually saying this is the type of prayer that God was having Elijah do. This wasn't something Elijah brought out of himself. Ah, don't let it rain. He's saying God actually gave him the ability to say, don't let it rain. It goes on to say this. It's, it's um, combative. It's confrontive force that achieves what God is looking for. So it actually gives the idea that it's an empowerment for the Lord where now you're not going to say, hey, I'm not giving up until this thing happens. See, I, as I look at prevailing prayer, and you guys tell me, how many of you guys have ever prayed for something more than a week and you just assume, well, God's not going to answer that one? You know, I've given a week to this. The Lord should have been able to do this. I mean, he directed me here, so and there's all this resistance, and I'm getting kind of tired of asking God the same thing over and over again, and I don't know if faith is actually even involved in this. So I guess God doesn't want to do it. Well, God is saying this is a different type of prayer and the fact that this is one where you say, look, either I'm going to pray this the rest of my life and die praying this because I'm not leaving this until this gets answered. That's prevailing prayer. That's effective prayer that God is talking about. It actually also means that you're given strength to face the necessary resistance so that it can bring the breakthrough that God is looking for. So God actually brings you, you guys get it? You're brought into a hurricane experience of everything that is resisting God's will when he says, pray for this. Now the question becomes, why does he call us into this? Why can't it just be easy? I'm going to leave that hanging for a moment. Let's keep moving on. Elijah was a man. I'm sorry. Effect, uh, effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So now it's telling you that the, this is what prayer really is. 
Prayer is entering into this place, and anything that's resisting God, God's saying, I'm putting you there so that you can actually learn how I break through in things, so that you can understand a part of me that actually loves victory in people's lives and seeing them set free and changing the course of human history. And what is interesting here is he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man. Now, without developing the whole doctrine of righteousness, there are two forms. There's Works of righteousness, you know, in Psalms 23, the Lord leads us in paths of righteousness for so how we live our lives according to the nature of God. And then there's declared righteousness. This is that term that's being used. This isn't about, you guys, isn't this fascinating? He's saying the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. The effective prayer of a righteous person. So it's now describing, if I can say it correctly, it's being set apart to some place that no one else can go unless they're righteous before the Lord. There are all kinds of people that pray to God, but they're not allowed to enter into this place. Only the righteous can be here. It's now describing your place and your identity. So think about this. In your prayer life, God's actually telling you who you really are by the assignment he calls you to to pray about. Have you guys ever considered the things that God has you pray about and you think, I don't, really, is this of any value? God's actually telling you no one else can go there except for a righteous person. They can't even handle the stuff that's going to go on in that session of prayer. Only a righteous person could do it. So it, it, God's actually affirming something to you on how he sees you but what, by what he says pray about. And if you think, well, I'm not praying for international things. It doesn't matter if you're praying to have someone get a breakthrough or you get a breakthrough in your life. God's saying that place, that struggle is only for the righteous. They're the only ones that can stand in that place and stand up under that place. So God is actually saying you're stronger in his sight and what he's able to do by empowering you than you and I even understand of ourselves. God is saying this is ordained for you. As I started looking at the passage and just breaking down the words, it made me go back to thinking about this awesome honor that God has put on all of us to pray about things. Sometimes when, I don't know if you guys are like I am, when I look at prayer and I see what God says, here's what you're able to do in prayer, I notice that what it does is it confronts a worldview inside of me where I always think the power of the flesh is stronger than the things of the Spirit. Does prayer really change anything? Do you guys have conversations like I do? Well, yeah, it changes some things, but this thing I prayed for, I didn't get a breakthrough, so I guess God can't move in that area. Do you guys hear that resistance? That, that's that storm that the enemy tries to use so that you won't trust prayer. Let's keep moving on. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So what does this word accomplish mean? This is... When I was reading, I was like, how do I explain this? This is really difficult. It actually means, this word accomplish means to be energized. So it's literally, you ready? It means to energize something. It's like releasing an electrical current so that it can turn on a light bulb. So, what do you, what? You affect your prayer turns on light bulbs? Not what it's saying. I mean, kind of go here with me. I'm trying to get it across, so I'm being a little dramatic. God says, okay, it's time to pray for this. And he says, now jump into the hurricane. So you jump into the hurricane. You actually have the ability to move around, and what you're supposed to be looking for is a live wire of the glory of God to grab onto it. 
The minute that you grab the live wire of God's glory in a situation and you bring it into your experience and you touch it to whatever God wants to touch it to, boom, it transforms it. That's the the idea that God's trying to get across to you. Guys, you're not just wasting your time when you're praying about stuff. You're looking for the live wire of the glory of God and you're trying to grab it because the minute you can grab the glory of God in a situation and put it on something, it explodes with God's intention, God's love, His power to transform. And He's saying that's why God's called you to this. You've been called into this incredible treasure and adventure through just standing before God where you face everything that would destroy natural man and you're looking for the glory of God to grab onto it and go bring heaven into this situation. And God's going, that's what I was looking for. Now, if prayer really does change things, that should mess something up inside of us and going, what's my value system for prayer? Now, let's all have a fun, come-to-Jesus moment about prayer. (laughs) There was a, I think it was about 10 years ago, there was a survey done both on Christians, and this is the United States, this is not fun to admit, this is the United States, uh, Christians and people in ministry. And they asked them, so they would ask them questions like, okay, so do you pray? Yes. How much time do you spend in prayer? They said that the average, now this might not be you, and this might not apply to anybody in this room, but this is the state of the American church. How much time do you spend in prayer? The average Christian, three minutes a day. For a minister, five minutes a day. Either God has some acceleration plan going on in America, and it only takes us five minutes to find the glory of God and touch stuff, or we don't see value to it. What you value is what you participate in. What you think changes people's lives, you participate in. What you have hope for is what you participate in. Now, I'm going to look at Chris as I say this because I don't want to be harsh on anybody, so I have to look at his pastoral heart to make sure I say it correctly. Have you guys ever seen a group have a call for prayer and three people show up? But if they have a night of worship, everyone shows up? I'm not saying anything one way or another to you about it. I'm just saying... Do we believe prayer changes anything? The Bible's actually coming to you, and it's now having a conversation with you and I. Elders are supposed to see breakthrough and healing. Why? Well, because your prayer life, in God's eyes, is just like Elijah's. And because it's so powerful, you have to begin to assimilate that and go, does this really work? And you have to put yourself in a position to say, I need a challenge in prayer to see if God's actually lying to me, which God doesn't do. When I was 22 years old and I was living here in Colorado, this person walked up to me and handed me a book. I'm just kind of minding my own business and living life happy. I just met the Lord within a year and I was already in Bible college. So I'm just kind of minding my own business. And this person says, hey, you know, I was praying, and the Lord told me to take you and give you this book. And I'm like, God tells people to give people books? I said, why didn't he tell you to give me a Bible passage? So he's like, I don't know. Here, here's the book. So I grab it, and, I, and it's, it's this book on prayer. And the guy, the, it's a life of a guy that I'd never heard of, and so I start reading it. Now, depending on, like they were showing you this book here, 
there are certain books and certain seasons of your life where they're not just books of information. It's like, in a sense, you're coming and God is having a personal conversation with you and trying to ask you a question about, how do you see me? So I'm reading about this person. I'll share who it is in a moment. But the first thing that the person described is God came to him and said, I want you to sell all you have and give to the poor and trust me. And I thought, oh, no, one of these people that are, I don't understand. I don't know why God would tell someone to do something like that, that kind of stuff. And so that's how the book started. And then it went through this. And then he felt like the Lord told him to not ask for anybody to meet his needs, but to ask for everything in prayer. And I thought, well, who would do, who would do that? And I'm reading it, and as I'm going through every chapter, I'm going through the adventure with them of how God is trying to work through all this stuff. And at the beginning of their life, how they had to trust God for simple little things, and then the effect of the lo- at the end of their life. Uh, by the way, the, the person was George Mueller, if you don't know who it is. And by the end of his life, he had started orphanages for both men and women, a Bible college. He was one of the biggest publishing companies in England before the 1900s. He, he um, sent more people to do missionaries than any other organization in, in world history at that time. I mean, and he did it all by praying. <laughs> so do you, are you guys like I am? I read these books, and then I put them on the shelf, and I think, I don't know what to do with that. Because I'm not there. I don't even know how to relate to that. So I put the book down, and the Lord starts having a conversation with me. I need you to, uh, you no, know, he didn't say it that way. He said, let me be specific. Now it's time for you to learn to do this. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. How am I going to believe you for six, three orphanages and a, and a printing company? And <laughs> so I went to the end of the book and said, how am I supposed to believe you for that? And he stopped me and he said, I didn't ask you to believe me for that. I want you to start where you're at. I'm like, okay, what does that look like? He says, do you have a need? And, I, and at the, that time of my life, I was working at a, a company called Skyline where we formed skylights and everything. And I wore tennis shoes. And uh, my, my tennis shoes were getting worn out, kind of like these are now. And I thought, well, you know, the only, the only place I have faith is I'll pray for a pair of tennis shoes. Now, in the life of George Mueller, I know that this sounds kind of silly, but it, it does make sense. He, he actually believed that you were to be very specific with God about what you pray for so that you can see that God actually really answered your prayer. So he wouldn't just pray for pairs of tennis shoes. He picked the size, the color, the brand, all that stuff. So I thought, well, God gave me that model. So, so in my own little prayer journal, I wrote out, I need a pair of Nike tennis shoes, size 10 and a half, white with a black stripe. Now, I'd never done this before. I had read all the stuff, George Mueller, and I kind of knew where, what I was getting into. So God starts having me pray about this. So think about that, never doing this before. I'm standing before the Lord every day going, could you please give me a pair of white Nike tennis shoes, size 10 and a half with a black stripe? I'd pray and think, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. The first week I did it, I thought, God should probably up in heaven just laughing at me. Like, but that's the dumbest thing, you know. And, and then the, about three days into praying for it, the Lord cautioned me and he says, Brian, don't tell anybody because your wife will go buy them for you. 
And I went, okay. So I just, I thought, you know, it's a pair of tennis shoes. If I don't get a breakthrough, I could tell every prayer doesn't work and that no one's life was on the line. So I start praying for it every day. Now, what was funny is about two weeks into it, I hit my first bump in the road where I thought, you know, who, who am I? Where did I get the idea that God would even listen to my prayers or even answer something like this? I haven't been, you know, I've got junk going on inside of me that isn't resolved and I need to stop sinning in certain areas of my life. Why would God pay attention to any of this stuff? But as I would pray about it, the peace of God would meet me. Like, now, why am I getting the peace of God every time I ask him for this stuff? And I, and I started realizing, it takes a while to figure some of this stuff out, that uh, when two are walking together, they come into harmony with each other, and the effect of it is peace. And so I realized, oh, I must be in the will of the Lord. This is kind of being directed by God, so I'm going to start praying for it. So, now, the time element entered into it. So I think I started, I think it was September every day. Give me a pair of tennis shoes, and I just kind of mark it off on my calendar. And then I hit the dead zone. Okay, this is three weeks we're doing this, God. I mean, seriously. <laughs> and sometimes I'd feel these encounters by the Lord, and I'd think, it must be like Elijah. He's, he's going to like drop the tennis shoes on my front porch. And sometimes I'd get up out of prayer and go and look out my apartment door and see if the shoes were there, and they weren't. And I'm like, well, what was that? Now, I'm going to work. Uh, I was one of those people that formed skylights, and so I had to be by this oven that was at 450 degrees. And, you know, you kind of need protective shoes, and my shoes are falling apart. Now, I, I had holes in the bottom of them, so I used to do this little dance around the oven so that my feet wouldn't hurt. And I'm still praying for it. And are you guys ready? Now the situation with my tennis shoes are getting worse. Now they're ripping so I have a daily reminder, you guys ready? I have a daily reminder, I must not have very effective prayer. <laughs> so now, instead of, well, let's, let's see an experiment, my prayer life is turning into begging. Either have some, and so I'm, now I'm reasoning with God. Well, maybe you won't give me the pair of tennis shoes, you'll just give me the money. And God would stop and say, no, I want you to pray for the shoes. <laughs> I give a look at my feet. They're hurting. I'm praying. My feet are on fire, basically. Do you guys go through any of this stuff? All right. Now stop there with the story. I'll finish it. Let's go back to the passage. Look at it with me again. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now this is not saying he was made out of dust. This isn't that type of Greek passage. This is the Greek word for emotions. Elijah has the same emotions that we do. Now, the reason why the Scripture is actually talking to you about this is this is where the rubber really hits the road when it comes to your life and my life in prayer. Now, just so if you, if you like ever take anyone through inner healing or you know anything about counseling or you know anything about psychology, Elijah is a paradox because here's this man that's moving in the power of God. His prayer life is incredibly effective, and he's full of fear and trepidation, falls into uh, fits of depression. So the Bible is now saying, and I, I actually appreciate it in James, he's actually now saying to you and I, 
Look how powerful his prayer was, even though he was made out of the same material that everyone else is. If he would have used Jesus, we would have used it, well, he's the son of God, and who can be like Jesus in this situation? So he picks one of the weakest prophets who has the most powerful prayer life, and he says, guess what? You're just like him, or he's just like you. He's struggling with stuff. Uh, if you look at his life, uh, seriously, he, lightning bolts are coming down and killing men that are threatening him. And uh, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he's terrified out of his life and he runs for his life. I mean, what is going on with this guy? <laughs> Do you know, uh, hey, did you know uh, Elijah actually asked the Lord to take him to heaven? Which meant, I give up. He actually got depressed. And God said, okay, so go down by this brook for a while so I can feed you and take care of you so you stop being depressed about stuff. Do you guys get it? He's a real man. He's dealing with stuff. And actually, he's actually dealing with a lot of stuff, and it's affecting him emotionally. And now James is picking this up, and he's bringing it before you, and he's saying, hey, guys, your prayer life isn't based on how internally strong you think you are. It's, it's the opposite of that. It's actually a paradox. It's based on the strength of the Lord. Regardless of how weak you are, your prayers are effective because of him, not because of how cool you are. So now I'm four months into praying for my tennis shoes. I'm not getting them. I'm trying to figure out how to even get out of this prayer thing. I thought, how stupid and foolish of me. Who do I think I am? My, my, which was funny. It's now December, so it's snowing here in Colorado, and I'm, you know, I'm walking in, putting my foot down, and I'm just getting these cool effects of water just splashing in my foot every time I'm walking because I have holes in my shoes and the leather is now coming off so it literally looks like I'm walking with sandals <laughs> and I'm working by a hot oven every day. So now it's Christmas Eve and my boss comes to me and he, and he says this. So we have a half day of work so I'm working and he says, okay now Brian, Look at your shoes. And so I'm looking at my shoes. He goes, this is now a health hazard that you're wearing these shoes. And you need to either replace them or don't show up from work after Christmas. All right, what's going on? The intensity's being put on me. So how do you think I responded? Yes! That's what I was waiting for. No, are you kidding me? I'm just like, I'm leaving work mad at the Lord telling him, what is going on here? I'm trying to believe you for something, and look how foolish I look in front of you. You guys ever do any of this stuff? It's actually a certain term in the Greek New Testament. It's called whining prayer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not happy. I, and just to make it worse, we have to go visit my mother-in-law for Christmas Eve. Now, there's nothing wrong with her. It was the whole what Christmas is like around my mother-in-law. God, I just love her, but seriously. Um, she was abused as a young girl, so Christmas is a depressing time for her. So when I would come with my wife to hang out with Christmas, we never really celebrated. It was like going to a funeral every year. And so I had to leave work with my moccasins and getting soaked feet, being threatened. You're going to be fired if you don't get a new pair of tennis shoes. And now I know I have to go to a funeral that night. And I'm already depressed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm just like, what is this, God? And so, you know, my wife, what, what's going on? And I'm not telling my wife what's going on. And she's just kind of looking at me wearing these tennis shoes. And, and, and I'm, I'm just like, I don't know if I could do Christmas this year. And we're, 
And she's like, oh, it'll be okay. We'll try to make it fun and tell jokes. And I, all right. So we're driving down to Pueblo, and we get to my mother-in-law's house. And, you know, she has a Christmas tree up, but she doesn't give presents to anybody except <laughs> chocolate-covered cherries, which I don't, I don't know why that's like, that was like a really big deal for her. And just to tell you a secret, I hate chocolate-covered cherries. <laughs> and she knew that. And so she would buy me a box so that she could give it to her daughter so that my wife would get double Christmas presents. And so, so, so when I walked in the house, there's the Christmas tree. And, you know, I'm just kind of depressed and I'm walking in and I'm getting ready to go sit down and eat a meal. And I kind of look over at the Christmas tree and I recognize the boxes. There are the chocolate-covered cherries. So now I'm at a funeral, I'm depressed with God, and I have junk I don't want to eat. And I notice a different different box over there. And I'm like, I don't know who that's for. It's probably for my wife. And I sit down, you know, and I'm just eating and kind of mad and, wow, life doesn't work. And Why did I even start this thing? And through the whole process, I have God meeting me, giving me this assurance he's going to answer this prayer. Well, now we're down to 1159. We're at that point. It has to be answered. This is the next day I have to go to work. And if God doesn't answer it, I don't, I, I'm a sinner. So I guess at like midnight, I'm going to have to go to like Walmart and buy a pair of tennis shoes. And then I had all this whole stupid belief that God was going to do this and it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> all right, go back to the passage with me. Elijah was a man with the nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Let's take that word earnestly. It's kind of interesting. It's two Greek words. The first word means towards or to exchange. And the second Greek word means to go from a wish to a prayer. What is prayer really when we first start? It's a hope. Not a biblical hope, it's a human hope. Will God do it? I hope God does it. Okay, so are you guys ready to go into the storm with me one more time? What is the scripture telling you here? God says, hey, Duncan, it's time to pray for this. And all of a sudden, you jump into uh, a hurricane of everything that's resisting that in God. And God's saying, now in this place, you're allowed to be here because I've designated you and empowered you because you're righteous in my sight. So he's basically affirming to Duncan, you're my son in the middle of this prayer experience. Then he says, now, Duncan, your job is to find me and grab onto my glory. Even though you feel weak, do it. And so Duncan's like, oh, God, every time I do this, I stink, and I'm doubting myself. And he said, no, just grab the glory of God. And so Duncan grabs it. Or is it okay if I use you in this story? <laughs> <laughs> then what he's saying is he's, he's trying to get the point across that he's saying, and in that storm, when Duncan starts off, he's trying to trust the nature of God, and it's like, I hope God does this. And then what happens is the minute he grabs that, that wire, something changes inside of him. And all of a sudden he goes from, gosh, I hope God does it, to where God is going to do this. And he goes from hope to prayer, from doubt to faith. This is the place that Jesus was talking about where he says, if you say to this mountain, move, it'll move. He's saying there's a transition that happens in prayer where you go from hoping to knowing. And once that hits you, it doesn't matter how long it takes for God to do it, you know he's going to do it. 
And he's, now he's telling you this. He's now describing it in the passage. He's actually saying he earnestly prayed. He now hit what's called the sticking point. Okay. I get done with my funeral dinner on Christmas Eve. And for some odd reason, my mother-in-law is happy. Let's have Christmas. Which that shocked me. Like, why is she excited about this? <laughs> so we sit down. And, you know, really all it was was just giving three, uh, three, four gifts out, you know, chocolate-covered cherries, which I hate, and you just make them and go, great. And then she goes, all right, let's start this time. Let's do something different. And we're all kind of looking at her like, why is she happy this time? She goes, I want to start, and I want to give a present to Brian. So she walks over to the weird-looking box, and she hands it to me. She just takes it and hands it to me. I actually look at the – now, you guys ready? I look at the shape of the box – and I'm trying to figure out, is this like the box was bigger than a box of chocolate-covered cherry? I'm looking at it going, is, there, is this like a box with three or four of them so I can give them to my wife? I'm just kind of like, what? <laughs> it's like, okay. So I, I'm opening it. And as I open it, I pull off the top, and I go into shock, literally. I open it up, and everyone's looking at me to get, like, you know, respond, and I just... I look at the box, and I just kind of put it on the ground. And everyone's like, well, that's a weird way to open a present. I get on my knees, and I grab the, the first thing that's in the box. Are you guys ready? And I pick it up like it's a newborn son, and I lift it up in the air like this in front of everybody, and I yell something, God answers prayer! And everyone's like... <laughs> So what, what happened? I open it up, and there's a pair of Nike, Nike tennis shoes, size 10 and a half, white with a black stripe, exactly what I've been praying for for over four months, going, does God answer prayer? The minute I opened it up and I looked at that, the Spirit of the Lord hit my heart, and he had this conversation with me that stuck with me the rest of my life. He says, Brian? I can move the hearts of kings any way I want. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense about the tennis shoes, does it? But think about what he was telling me. He was telling me something about my future way in the, in the future. Nothing resists my will. Nothing. Kings cannot resist my will. The change that you and I are longing for it's been called to this place. God it does not lead you into things to be defeated. He leads you into them because an explosion inside of you so that you get shaken out of the kingdom of men in the age that we live in so that you realize you're part of an unshakable kingdom and he can move anything to accomplish his will. He's just looking for one of his sons and daughters to go, come into this with me. <laughs> Not only did I pick up the shoe, I walked around the house with it like this for a while, and I actually held it like it was a newborn baby, and everybody's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, don't talk to me for a minute. I just need to hold this. Because I was also getting broken out of, you guys ready? When the Lord spoke that, I move in the hearts of kings and move them any way I want, all of a sudden, as I'm holding this shoe, the, the spirit of doubt and unbelief and just deception is breaking off of me, and I'm realizing I'm entering a new place with God. 
I'm going on this intense adventure with Jesus, and I just wanted to hold it for a minute and realize, look what's going on. Human history has changed by this pair of tennis shoes. Has human history changed by that pair of tennis shoes? Absolutely. Any prayer God answers and does for you, and he prevails, he's just told you. You're the change agent for your generation. You should be taking on prayer adventures and going, what obstacle can God let me come into and destroy? Now think about it. Are you guys like I am? I'm looking at my frailty all the time and going, yeah, I don't know if God wanted me to do that. I mean, you know, God has more faithful, committed, more powerful believers. But God's going, no, you're the one. You're the one. I trade you for this time in human history. All the other strong people lived their time. Now it's your time. And how many of us go, yeah, but God, could you just choose someone else? <laughs> There is no thing that you can go through in life that's more dynamic than what God has called you to in prayer. The minute you see breakthrough and it connects with your spirit, you get ruined by it and you look for the challenge. Because God has called you and I to be people that move mountains, change nations, see the dead be raised, the sick recovered. This is your inheritance. And guys, I understand all the disappointment in prayers. I understand the process of growing up in this. But it's worth it because of the victory that God is willing to show you. Would you guys pray with me for a moment? Oh, Lord, did I get across what you wanted? Let their Isaacs be awakened inside of them. Let the promises that you have spoken become a heart cry of their soul. And God, bring us into prevailing prayer again. For my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, we are aware of what's going on in the nations. We're willing to go here with you. Take us. Train us. Give us our own inheritance with this so that our children's children will marvel about what we've experienced with you. For the people that are in that place that need to be encouraged, get them, God. Encourage them. Help them hold on to the live wire of your glory during the resistance and restore hope to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.